welcome to Women in Venture Capital. I'm Roshvina, a student at Harvard Business School with prior experience in finance and more recently venture capital in Africa. And I'm Anvita, Harvard Business School class of 22. I've actively worked in VC and tech startup space. Our mission at Women in Venture Capital is simple: increase the representation of women in the VC industry through awareness and engagement. So join us as we engage with women establishing their presence in VC. Our guest today is Sue Sue. Dr. Sue is a managing partner at Amino Capital and her focus areas of investment include data-driven solutions. She was the interim CEO of Candy House and Site C. Since 2012 she was involved with more than 160 investments mostly in seed and series A including Chime Bank, Webflow, Rippling, Headspin, Orbis that was acquired by Amazon, Mobike that was acquired by Meetwan, Data Farm acquired by Google and et al. Dr. Sue began her early stage entrepreneurship when she was the founding scientist at Glycomira, also involved in undergrad and PhD laboratory spin-offs. She has 3 patents and over 20 journal publications and was previously a postdoc fellow at Stanford University. We are extremely delighted to have you Sue. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you so much Anvita and it's a great pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Um kicking it off with your early career decisions so uh curious to know about your upbringing those early decisions in your career that drew your attention and interest to the area of mucosal diseases and your subsequent spin-offs of that research to founding Glycomira. Uh thank you for the question. Actually um I I believe that every kid actually um you know the most in, most important people always their parents and then to me the same thing and then when i was little i learned how academia works from the dining table because my dad is was professor and in the statistics and then it's very natural that back then i didn't really know you know what my real passion is and then i would just like keep studying and studying and studying and uh, i guess that happened to a lot of the kids um these days but um Uh, so I actually followed my dad's dream career to be a professor, and then until I actually really hating the laboratory, and then I I was telling myself that are there any other possibilities? And then I when I was looking at you know Dr. Um, you know Professor Presswich, and then he was actually having um, nine companies and uh, in his career, and he was setting up a new company, and also I decided to. you know join kind of like uh, his laboratory and to see whether there is new things i can learn it's truly based on the curiosity and then because he has so many companies and um he really taught me a lot he really tell me you know besides academia when you have an idea and then you can really commercialize it and that's what all entrepreneurship is about and then he had a couple of really really good friends in all his life and then you know they put money together and then after two or three years the company either you know uh raised the next round financing or got acquired and then either way is happy ending so i guess like there is nothing to lose as you know immigrants or international students and then i just decided to eventually i want to do my own startup so on one hand i believe that training is truly beautiful without my phd training i wouldn't get to you know where i am right now but in the meantime curiosity to explore is also so important in my career because 
based on the curiosity. And then I actually learned so much from Dr. Presswich Laboratory, both in his academic training, but also commercialization. And then I, I eventually felt like I found my passion. And then I meet new people at Stanford, and then I decided to start my own, uh, own company. That's wonderful. And uh, I think uh, one thing you said just stuck to me that um, my husband keeps saying this, that you're, you are a sum of the five closest people around you. Um, so you want to know who they are and kind of be picky about it feels like your foundations of, you know, obviously your family and parents for the most part end up becoming that, you know, one of the first, one of the first few people in that circle, but building on that in terms of, you know, who else are you surrounding yourself with and how that influences how you see things and how you see opportunities and how you make the most of it. I think uh, that's, that's a great example of how you saw things, you know, shape up for you and how uh, doing the, you know, the PhD uh, under the influence of your professor, seeing him commercialize a bunch of uh, research technologies got you the entrepreneurial bug. That's really exciting to know. And we'll touch upon this in the conversation later about building those mentorships and nurturing those relations. We'll come back to it uh, in the conversation, but it's really nice that you've already touched upon it. Um, from your entrepreneurial stint at Glycomira, you've only gone deeper in the startup ecosystem. And you then took the seat of an investor by starting Amino Capital, and you're today the managing partner of the fund. I'm curious to hear what triggered that shift and how did Amino happen? And if you can talk a little bit about the fund, curious to hear about how this journey started. Yeah, uh, that was a great question. When I first um, decided to start my own company, of course, I took advantage of the ecosystem at Stanford, right? That's, um, you know, when I was at Stanford, there was a lot of VC like myself and uh, trying to actually, um, you know, provide freelance, you know, and then tell a life story of the most successful excitement and then to all the students and then I guess that's how it works right um so that's how you know Silicon Valley works and people just uh, contribute back you know and experience and especially those who have been there who have done that and they wanted to contribute to the new generation and then when I was at Stanford I truly kind of like embraced that because I had the idea and I wanted to start a company and then that was the perfect place for me so you know, and I obviously I attended so many events and then I actually met a lot of angel investors. So because I was in medical school and my idea was about healthcare, you know, um, you know, hair loss, you know, regrow your hair, hair follicle, that kind of thing. And then there was a group of angels, a lot of them. Um, though they actually came from, you know, background of Google, or Facebook, all those, all those tech giants. And then I truly admire, you know, I admire what they have achieved. And they are definitely extremely nice people. They got rich by either joining Google early or they had this product using their computer. And then the product just go viral. And then they didn't have to raise a lot of money to actually set up a laboratory, you know, purchase you know, animals to do tests on them. So it's just all this, this different world to me. It's a completely new world. And then as you mentioned earlier, right, your response to my previous comments, you know, all those instincts became natural to me. In the very beginning, it was like shock. I was shocked. Oh my gosh, you guys can just start a company using your computer. You don't even have to raise money. 
that was amazing. I couldn't do that. I have to raise like a million dollar, you know, to get to SBIR funding. And then the next milestone, I have to raise more money to hire, you know, scientists who are definitely overeducated. Some of them already work in Genetech or postdoc, and they are very well trained. They are in their 30s. So it's very difficult to convince them to work for me for free. So, but, you know, you get a bunch of kids in their 20s and they don't have any, you know, families to take care of and they just by themselves and then they just work for each other for free. So I thought, wow. And then in the very beginning, I was shocked, but later on, this type of growth to grow on me, it becomes an instinct. So I started to pivot my idea and then and then over time, after trying a couple of ideas, you know, something like similar to what benchling is all about, you know, convert your notebook into a cloud notebook, something like that. That was one of the ideas that I was trying with some, you know, like two other Google engineers. And then after that, I felt like, oh my gosh, um, it's, this is really interesting. This is going to work. And then instead of having my own idea, are there any other opportunities? Because I have known so many, you know, like people like Larry Lee, who, are, who uh, was one of the angel investors in Zoom and, uh, you know, Dr. Hui Ken Chu and Max Ibo, they joined Google year 2000. And those group of people, they actually put money together. They put money together in 2012 and they wanted to um, start a fund. They want to start a fund. And then I was like, this, this group of people are definitely could be my mentor, you know, in entrepreneurship. And then those people are definitely the people I admire a lot. And then I decided to come to them and then ask them, what can I do to help? And then it's pretty easy for them to look at my background and seeing that, why don't you work on deal for us? So I got started with Amino, you know, by just volunteering myself. So that's my story. That's how I got into VC. and. Um, but the interesting thing about Amino is so easy to sell to entrepreneurs because, you know, not just this group of people, they're technical and they understand what they're building, but they definitely can advise, you know, young entrepreneurs to build a product from zero to one. And now we have 13 unicorns, which we definitely can confidently say that we can help people build product from zero to billion, right? And uh, so how do we do that? Very easy to sell again, because back in 2012, there was this new ideology, um, I think initiated but agreed by the whole industry, which is called DDD, data-driven decision-making. And then we understand that Facebook and some other companies, they when they were at the board meeting, everybody has to you know, present based on data. So the decision has to be based on data. And then that was back in 2012. But from my understanding, a lot of the venture firms, they don't actually make decisions based on data. And then we thought, oh my gosh, you know, the whole industry is moving that way. However, you know, we probably will be the only one actually. Well, actually back then we were not the only ones. There was a data collective doing very well, social, social capital doing very well. But back then we didn't know. So we all started at the same time. And then we were like, you know, we can actually take advantage of data to make a decision to work on deal flow, to track talents. And then by doing what? By started our own software. So for from the last nine years, we have built a 
pretty robust, a comprehensive, you know, deal deal tracking and deal flow management, and also patent tracking. For example, back then we were seeing a lot of uh, you know really good engineers. They quit Facebook, quit Google, and join Uber. And then we were like, oh my gosh, Uber definitely is a great company. Why do they need so much, you know, so many data scientists? Why do they need so many like? You know, like you're really top-notch engineers, not just mediocre, but the top engineers because they're growing extremely fast back then, extremely fast. They need really good engineering manager who is very capable to actually train the new hire. That's why they have to get all these engineers from all those tech giants. And then we were right, even though, you know, back then, you know, Uber was already too late for us, but that kind of observation kind of like, you know, like kind of like reinforced our model, right? So we kind of like snowballed the model. We, we kind of like, uh, um, you know, play with the parameter and everything. And now we, you know, we have, you know, as you as we mentioned before, we have 13 unicorns, especially, you know, like Chime Bank, we, we were their first money. So, uh, it's, it's one of the things that we thought this is very interesting. Another thing is comparing to healthcare, healthcare actually takes a long time to actually, um, you know, see the results because it's a highly regulated industry. And then, so back then, you know, it's all about big data. So it's very difficult to actually, you know, um, ask everybody to contribute your data into your cell phone. Or you can just, uh, back then you can just, uh, open your Facebook and then you can see all your vital sign or stuff like that. I think Google tried, but didn't pan out. Google used to have a Google house and I put my weight and everything in there, but didn't pan out. And then I felt like, why do I want to stick? Do I still want to stick to healthcare or do I want to embrace big data? And then I make a decision that I think economically, because I wanted to get into VC and then economically, and then I think, Big data in general, stage and uh, uh, industry agnostic is is actually make more sense. So that's why I decided to choose Amino instead of a healthcare fund. That that was some really amazing insights. I think three three takeaways for me. The two things that remain consistent in from what you shared earlier to your entire journey of doing your you know bit of a startup and then coming to Amino. The two things that I figured stayed constant was curiosity that you spoke about earlier. You said that you just started working for them by chance, the Amino team, and how you just tapped into the opportunity to see whether, you know, you like it, whether, you know, it clicks and you were curious to explore that world and that kind of got you in. Um, And the linked piece about it that you mentioned earlier as well, that surrounding yourself with the people and making the most of the community that you have. Of course, the Silicon Valley and the Stanford community is, is known and it's excellent, but being able to tap in and making the most of opportunities available is that added skill in itself also. So that's amazing. Uh, and the third piece that I truly got excited about was what you spoke about, the true differentiation almost of Amino. I mean, I haven't heard funds at all talking about their differentiated uh, sourcing approach. And even if it is differentiated, it's differentiated on a a set of intangible metrics, if you will, that, you know, we know the network or we have experience and we just know people and we have experience as operators. So founders want to talk to us. What you spoke about differentiation, even if it was about sourcing, was how data driven you were, how you created a proprietary uh, database and, you know, a CRM in a way of internally that you track and, you know, similar for a talent flow, which is also super exciting to hear. 
so yeah i mean kudos to all that's you know happened so far um and just building on that so um you spoke about one style of investing of yours where between healthcare and big data you you know took the macro view and said that let's do big data both from the industry you were in and what made more sense economically and that's one uh, evident answer on what style of investing you have also knowing now the fundamentals on what amino capital is built uh, but other than that curious to hear about your overall style of investing and how that has evolved over time and i'd love to hear things around you know the intangibles like you know um, knowing more about the team like what what really excites you about about a team and then how do you go about um continuing that conviction or building that conviction and you know what goes in that process um and just link to that you know in the recent times hence what has been the most exciting thing that you're following maybe within big data or within healthcare or even otherwise that's a very good question. Um, so uh, you're absolutely right. When we first got started, we definitely think you know data as a mode is definitely the way to go. Not just the you know since the firm already data driven decision making, and then why do we only focus on data data companies? So we definitely started with you know data as a mode and uh, something that we wanted to catch the next Google or next Facebook. You know less operational work. And then young founders and uh, uh, you know uh, tackling a problem through pure tech angle, pure tech angle. So that's what we got started. And then back then, you know, in year of uh, uh, 2013, we actually got into the you know angel round of a company called Chime Bank. And then now it's like a 25 billion dollar company. And then so the founders, as you mentioned, you know, the founders previously. Um, one of the founders, CTO, Ryan King, he used to work with one of our um, limited partner. Uh, so we have about um, over 50, you know, individuals who are executives at Google, Facebook, and Amazon, LinkedIn. And then they are our, you know, limited partner, but also they were, they were our, you know, part-time venture partners. And um, so he actually... So he was the first Chinese guy at Facebook. So he worked before he joined Facebook. He worked at the you know social networking company for enterprise called Plaxo. And then at Plaxo, he worked with Ryan King. He definitely he knew absolutely that the Ryan was super capable and really good at engineering management. And then when we look at the so they back then they wanted to build something you know for underserved community immigrants, people without social security or without really good credit score and issue a debit card. However, this debit card will come with a super killer app. And that app can actually have as fabulous as credit card rewards. So we saw, you know, this is something that we actually experienced when we were in China because we actually, even though I never work in China, but I have relatives in China. So I travel between Silicon Valley and Beijing sometimes. So I knew, you know, what Chime would like to do is definitely not the debit card. It's a digital payment. It's a digital payment. So I remember when I was in China traveling in the summer and then I saw, um, you know, people selling sweet potatoes at the, you know, <laughs> at the, at the, you know, um, at the street. And then they don't use cash. They all use like Alipay or WeChat Pay. So 
That's amazing. I thought time could be something like that, but uh, nobody knew, right? Nobody knew. And then even most of the you know state uh, uh, agnostic venture firms on the Sand Hill back then, you know, they didn't invest in them. So because you know in the U.S., people all have credit credit score and then very well served. The credit card is definitely you know already serve serve people very well. Why do they use debit card, right? But um, but this actually told us that uh, when you invest in a company, you wanted to use the next generation technology, but solving a super niche uh, underserved community. And because you are using the next generation technology, and then this the specific you know, niche problem could eventually become an overall problem for the whole population. And then because you're the only one or you're the earliest mover and then your products are already ready when the time is coming. And that's exactly what, you know, Chime is all about. And a similar story comes to we. So we is um, very similar to Pinduoduo in China. So it's also a delivery, you know, app. And then they now is $2.9 billion valuation. And then we were their first money back in 2015. And then when we invest in them, they were actually took advantage of the social e-commerce concept, but they only work on WeChat and not WeChat for people in China, but WeChat users in the U.S. Uh, even though, you know, maybe not even in the U.S., maybe just the in Silicon Valley. So, so they, but they are actually took advantage of this social e-commerce really advanced and, uh, you know, like technology and, and um, uh, 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 mechanism. And then they actually have one of our partner, Hui Ken's wife, hooked into this product. And then Hui Ken's wife can share his recipe, her recipe, can sh share the final product, and also, you know, her friends can actually copy what he, she bought on We, and then just, uh, you know, buy the whole package and then can ask Kui Ken's wife how she made it. And then she made a lot of friends. She was super happy. And because Kui Ken had the four kids, so it's super, it saved a lot of uh, time and um, trouble for his wife, just like DoorDash, but just, but, but what they're doing is, you know, take advantage of social media for WeChat. And uh, so because the retention rate was so high and then we have a really close family member using it. And then we decided to invest in them. So now it actually went to all ethnic food, all ethnic Spanish food, Korean food, Japanese food, all kinds of food, and then goes on its own app. So they don't actually rely on, uh, on WeChat anymore. They became a social network itself. So that's why they became like $2.9 billion company. So very similar to what Chime has been started with, a very niche market, but with the next generation technology. So based on you know, many, many years of operation, the firm, and now we actually figured there were two business models we are super passionate about. One is consumer. So nobody can be forever young, but there is always people young. So generation over generation, the consumer is so important. And, um, and then we actually can uh, look at their you know growth by looking at their data so it's very easy to tell whether a consumer product is good or not and then another one similar to consumer is consumer SaaS. 
So company like Rippling, company like Webflow in our portfolio, they are growing extremely fast. And then the beauty of uh, consumer SaaS is that people are actually willing to pay. And then they are paying using their corporate credit cards. So, and uh, a lot of the SaaS companies from their seed round, they're already profitable. Like one of our company, you know, Webflow, they, they were profitable with 10 million ARR, you know, after their seed round. And, um, and, um, and then one of another company called We Travel. So they are a SaaS platform for multi-day travel agency. And then they are profitable you know, before they receive a So consumer SaaS is definitely super interesting. And then we help them to figure, you know, you don't want it to be profitable and then you want to lose your, your window of opportunity. And then other people might actually, you know, come up with something that's similar to yours, but, with, but as a function. And then you will lose the window opportunity. So we try to urge those profitable SaaS company to raise the next round. But before that, they have to they have to really figure out how you become an infrastructure rather than just a SaaS, or how can you become an ecosystem rather than just a SaaS tool. So so the two um, category definitely super interesting to us. And then the third category, we had a lot of return economically, which is a deep tech. For deep tech, you know, healthcare, highly regulated, and then, you know, data, social, mobile, local didn't have a chance, but uh, AI and blockchain had a chance because, you know, because AI can actually uh, do something that, uh, you know, social mobile couldn't do. For example, Gorilla, they actually analyze, they're using deep learning to actually analyze all those 3 billion base pair that every one of us human has. And then using, take advantage of deep learning, just like, uh, you know, for translation and translated there, you know, they have, they have the mutation and also they have the house record and using deep learning, you actually figured which mutation actually could be indicator of uh, which diseases. So for another brand new sample and then just by doing the mutation analysis you kind of like a predict you know um what kind of cancer this person might have you know when it's still very early like they can actually detect cancer within two millimeter so i just did the test is and it's extremely cheap because um, um it's, it's less than one thousand dollars so this is unbelievable like before just the cost for one time of sequencing is like 1000 but they're doing a deep sequencing which could be like you know 10000 times of deep sequencing so it's definitely something that's super interesting and then if you're just doing deep tech and then by nature it could be just research but if you figured a business model and also you actually can do a very well management skill sets and then to actually manage to go IPO. So that way, because the area that you're working on has very high certainty and then not just the um, private investor, but also the public will actually believe in you and you can go IPO. So, you know, like two simple Aurora, another example in self-driving category and the deep tech super interested and another area is crypto. So um, we actually 
were fascinated about the idea of a Bitcoin is so backing. Um, so for Ethereum, it's like a smartphone. You can build application on top of it. And then, however, it's not scalable and it's very expensive. And then we decided that we wanted to support layer one. And then in 2014, we actually started the blockchain university together with the team from Definity. And then um, we actually supported Definity in 2016 again. And then we also invested the Professor Dong Song's Oasis Lab. And then all this became like all both of them became unicorn these days. So I was just saying, like, you know, for crypto, if you really want to, if you really believe that you could be the next Ethereum, and then, well, by nature, you only have this one chance. You don't have series A, series B, and uh, growth stage. So that's why, you know, we kind of like in Silicon Valley, you know, there is always every every 18 months, you have this new hype. And the, in, the, in the meantime, every 18 months, you have this new type of uh, investment term. And then we have to cope with like, you know, like for crypto, you, you know, you, if you really can be the next Ethereum, we have to invest in crypto and the, the, the equity doesn't actually make any sense anymore. So that's why we also invest in theft, invest in theft, which is new type of, uh, you know, for, um, you know, um, conversion to token instead of equity. So those are the three categories that uh, we are focusing on. And uh, uh, over time, you know, when we first got started, there was a lot of us, you know, uh, travel between China and the Silicon Valley for home and families. And then also, you know, we also have people travel from, um, you know, Berlin and Silicon Valley, Dr. Max Iba originally from Germany. And uh, so we, of course, we invest in a lot of companies, you know, um, 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 you know, like engineers from Google or students from Stanford, they wanted to invest, they want to start a company all over the world, we support them. And some of them actually went to China, we support them. However, recent years, and we felt like, you know, there is not a lot of interesting things in terms of a consumer and the consumer status in China anymore, especially um, their government is more focusing on semiconductor or healthcare. And then in the meantime, you know, there is like a companies uh, actually starting in India, as you probably know, you definitely knew that. And then there is like um, over 50 unicorns uh, last year in India. And then um, so we were fascinated and then we believe that uh, China yeah. definitely showed a new world can be built outside Silicon Valley. And then not just China, but very soon all over the world, especially in India. And uh, so uh, you, you definitely knew that, uh, you know, Geo makes 4G for free. And then, and uh, you there know, was like so many unicorns and uh, we were very lucky that we invested uh, about 20 companies for the last two years in India. And then recently, Carbon Card, they are the corporate card for Indian SMB and they just raised 15 million a um, couple of days ago. That is amazing, Sue. I think I, I can't agree more on all the points that you mentioned. I mean, people say VC is generally like a pattern matching industry and you're like all that you shared, a lot of what you shared in the beginning was just a, a very live example of that. I mean, trying to draw patterns from what you saw in China, uh, drawing patterns from different sectors, even in the US and seeing how that will get replicated across the other sectors. I think 
It's amazing. Um, and what you mentioned about uh, looking at deep tech, um, which again builds its own moat of you know being capital intensive, but also then um, you know having your own IP um, is excellent. And the last piece about going global, you're right. I mean, I've I've seen the geo revolution in India uh, and how that has completely changed the game for uh, tech driven or you know digital businesses in general across every possible industry. I I totally am with you on you know how this has evolved for you guys. So thanks so much for sharing this in in such breadth and depth. Um, just building on this uh, a little bit more, so uh, we saw that a, a bunch of your earlier stage investments have actually gotten the fund exits by acquisitions. Um, I'm curious on how you, as a fund, uh, you know, take an approach on doing strategic deals, M and A, um, you know, or think about other avenues of exits like you know uh, public market exits, etc. And um, how do you model those out when you're you know doing an overall investment life cycle? Correct, correct. So um, that's one of our, you know, risk management secret sauce. And then when we actually invest in a company, we definitely invest in people. Especially, we oftentimes we prefer to be their first money. So we try to actually um, align that with the exit strategy. For example, some of the companies, like large companies, they will actually looking at teams to acquire when they actually wanted to grow a product and they're not doing very well. So what do they do? They can actually hire the best people in the whole world to actually help grow the product. But what if they cannot actually attract enough people fast enough and then they can actually do aqua hire. So when they do aqua hire, they only look at the team. Even the technology and the product were not very good. And then for 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 us, if the company actually are trying to raise their seed extension or they have some difficulty to find product market fit, so this could be a perfect timing for aqua hire. So we did actually have a couple companies. Um, they actually went through aqua hire, and then uh, most of the time, the tech giants they were trying to. Um, you know, uh, lock down, you know, some of the team members and uh, they oftentimes have choices. Do you want to actually, so they, for um, choices for the team, do, do you want to actually pay, want us to pay back your investor and then you will actually have less money or you want us to actually have an over acquisition price for your team. However, you don't have to pay back any of the money to your investors. And oftentimes we already build a really strong relationship with the team. And then the responsible CEO, they will respond to the tech giants that, you know, we uh, we wanted to pay back our investor, right? And then um, because, you know, we learned a lot, they paid our tuition. So, and right after that, we really appreciate such kind of arrangement. We're okay with that. And uh, I think but when the deal was done, and oftentimes I will say, uh, thank you for being a responsible CEO and uh, let's do that again. And the CEO oftentimes will, you know, they once they are already had their startups before, it's very difficult to work for a large company for the rest of their life. So very possible that they will want to start their own company again. And then with, more mature idea and management skill set. And then oftentimes we will 
most of the time, actually, we will back them again. So that's the founder and investor relationship when we try to neutral. And uh, that's M&A for Aquahire. But when a company, if they actually fund the product market fit, however, um, you know, their revenue is not very good. And um, that actually came to a lot of the company, they are providing API. So um, standing alone is not very easy to actually build the infrastructure and provide a holistic, uh, you know, platform solution cloud for their customer because they are just the providing algorithm, especially back in 2016, before 2016. So, and um, a lot of the tech giants, they actually will look at the team, but also their technology. And then they saw the technology was really good. And uh, in that case, the price is much higher. It could be over 10 million to $50 million. And uh, so we were pretty happy. The team were pretty happy because, you know, it worth it because the technology can be integrated into the tech giants, their product. And uh, so that will be like very successful acquisition. And uh, if you not just have a technology, but also you have a product, meaning that you have a lot of users. So, and then... Uh, once you have a lot of users and uh, that could be like super, super successful exit, even though it's m and And I give you an example, like um, WhatsApp, which was acquired by Facebook for 21 billion plus a board seat for Young. So that's extremely successful acquisition. So acquisition could be, you know, uh, strategic, but most of the time we, Definitely, when we invest in a company, we invest in the team for good. So that's how we try to actually, you know, work together with the team. That was very, very well laid out. Thank you for sharing that. Um, switching gears, uh, curious to hear, Sue, about your experience in the industry from an equal opportunities lens. Uh, how would you guide on, you know, making and nurturing mentor relationships, especially um, you know, as a woman who has rammed up the ladder of, uh, you know, a VC, uh, you know, a, a very, very well-to-do VC, uh, what has worked for you and what advice would you have for people as they are figuring their way out, especially women? Right. Um, I think that's a really good question. And for me, it's forever learning process, especially in terms of, uh, you know, building team culture and also, um, leadership skill set. And then especially for a person like me, um, scientist by training, and I never been trained as a leader. And especially, you know, when, when I was little and um, I actually grew up with my grandma and um, uh, I didn't have a lot of, um, you know, brothers, sisters. I, I, I was the only child. I didn't even have cousins to play with me. So I was alone. And then that kind of, um, kind of like um, childhood really helped me to focus on academia. So that's why I got my PhD without a lot of effort. It's difficult, but I I did it. But but that kind of uh, attention, really training, training, I believe that training is beautiful. You know, as I mentioned, without PhD training, I couldn't be where I am right now. But uh, in the meantime, you know, I never been trained as a leader. So how do I actually... Um, you know, uh, switch gear and more focusing on people instead of just, you know, the technology or the mechanism. So that's a challenge for me. And especially in Silicon Valley, 
it's not just me. A lot of people in Silicon Valley, and they were either engineers by training or scientists, and then they they never actually became um, a manager or director. So it's it's not easy, especially as a woman. Uh, I found um, is something that uh, doesn't come to um, your manager your partner's mind you know from the very beginning right because you know in our firm you know all other partners are male and uh i think uh one of the things is that uh, you so what i did is really to contribute to the team culture because um when you actually being the only woman and then um all the other, you know, I, I really think of what I can contribute. So, for example, like um, the manager, you know, Larry was actually the one that the founding partner that hired me. And then he actually um, want me to take care of the team culture. So all the birthdays and um, all the, you know, like um, uh, entrepreneurs training and a lot of the events and the. Uh, uh, I will be the person actually, you know, go present Amino. So that's very, very important. I think in a team, everybody has a tag. And then if your tag is strong enough, and then you will actually have a very secure position in the firm. And uh, for leadership, I think it's all about trust, right? So we have about over 10 you know, uh, 10 uh, team members, 10 employee. And also we have a lot of limited partners. How do I actually build trust? And then that's actually the key for, um, you know, partnership. And uh, so whenever, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, in venture firm, especially the relationship with your investors, and we also have our investors. And then we oftentimes felt like, you know, I'm doing a lot of the consulting jobs. So I wanted to talk inside out and then to be a problem solver for my investor. So that's very, very important. So once I gain trust and with a very strong tag, I believe that I can definitely thrive in the VC industry if I wanted to. That is really well put and, and, you know, appreciate all the candor that you shared this with. Um, thank you so much, Sue. This conversation was extremely uh, enriching and truly insightful. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate this also. Uh, before we let you go, uh, we have a, a quick question we ask all our guests. Um, who do you consider as, uh, you know, a woman mentor who you truly look up to and has always inspired you in life? Yeah, so um, I I like um, well. Thank you for asking. I like Marisa Mayer actually. Yeah, not just the she have been covered in media so much, and then there is so many stories about her. And also, I think she's always like surprised or impressed people. Like for example, we were very lucky that we invested in you know. Um, her recent venture called Sunshine. And then when she actually came to our company, you know, she she was like very good friends and old friends with our partner, Dr. Hui Ken and Dr. Max Ibo. They both joined Google year 2000. But Marisa, when Marisa walked in and then she wore this really beautiful dress and then looks look so formal. So I can see that she's like super 
serious about what she has been doing. So that's very, very important. And uh, secondly, when she actually presented to our partners, so she actually, you know, took her own profile as example, and then, and then all her own information is in their demo to our partners. And uh, I believe that that's very convincing because she's that shows that she's really passionate about the problem that she's solving. So that immediately build up a trust and we trust her because she's not just solving other people's problems, she's solving her own problem. And then thirdly, I think she actually were covered in the press for the new product she's building called Sunshine. And then one day the medium uh, is actually writing the story of her and then she actually, so they actually use one of her pictures. So the picture is something that she's holding a pillow and uh, the pillow says, be nice or leave. And then I think that's something that actually inspired me a lot. I actually printed out, you know, for myself because, um, you know, secretly I'm telling you, uh, sometimes I can be irritated pretty easy. In a, <laughs> in a team meeting. But uh, when I was looking at that, and then I always telling myself, be nice. If you cannot control your temper, and then if you're about to say something that upset people, and then I'll just leave. I'm not seeing that. So this is really, I'm not sure whether this was Marissa was try, trying to telling us, you know, but this is something that actually inspired me. So yeah. I guess um, she could be my hero. That is beautiful. I hope she gets to listen to this show. This, <laughs> this is a very, very beautiful, uh, what you just shared. Thanks again, Sue. Uh, this was truly a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Anita.